0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Tessaro and the Not On My Watch movement. It's time to call for change in ovarian cancer care. Visit www.notonmywatch.com to learn more. On June 18th, the Washington Post brought together the nation's leading health policymakers, top doctors, and researchers for a live event examining the latest developments in cancer prevention, detection, and treatment. We also heard inspiring stories from cancer survivors and the loved ones who support them. During this year's State of the Union address, President Trump called on Congress to allot $500 million towards pediatric cancer research over the next 10 years. In this segment, we'll hear from Senator Jack Reed, a key senator who has written law on where the money should go regarding childhood cancer. He'll also discuss the federal health care policies affecting cancer patients. Let's listen. Paige Winfield Cunningham, a health policy reporter and author of the Health 202 newsletter here at The Post. And I'm excited to introduce my guest this morning, Senator Jack Reed, Democrat from Rhode Island. Uh, and he's been a huge advocate for pediatric cancer research. He most recently co-wrote the Childhood Cancer Survivorship Treatment Access and Research Act, which was signed into law by President Trump last year. Uh, unfortunately, Senator Capito couldn't join us. Her flight back to D.C. was canceled. But we're happy to have Senator Reed here this morning. Thank you. I'm excited to get into our conversation, but first I want to ask you a little bit of a different question because we've got some breaking news about Patrick Shanahan, uh, Trump's defense nominee's confirmation, and his hearing has been delayed again, and Yahoo's reporting today that's due to allegations in his private life. What can you tell us?
1: Well, we're still waiting for a nomination from the president. That's his sole priority. We haven't received it yet, so we can't begin the formal deliberations. Uh, and then, when we get the nomination, we'll have to start doing our due diligence, uh, have members of the Armed Service Committee talk to the uh, nominee, and then schedule a hearing. Right now, we are beginning our deliberations on the National Defense Authorization Act, and that should take up two weeks. So, we're, the schedule is already full. So, anything that would happen would probably be weeks from now, even if the nomination came up within the next few days.
0: What are some of the questions you have about these allegations?
1: Well, first of all, we have to look at the reports. There, there's a, uh, you can't just begin to speculate. You have to look at what the evidence has been presented. Uh, the FBI I, is doing an investigation. They always do an investigation, these high-level appointments. And then you look at that, and then the questions evolve uh, directly from that uh, reporting.
0: The administration announced 1,000 troops are going to support efforts in the Middle East yesterday, um, but Shanahan was nowhere to be found. Who's in charge of this deployment?
1: Well, he's the acting secretary of defense, and he has full authority as the acting secretary of defense uh, t- to conduct the, at the direction of the president these operations. Uh, the technical sort of responsibility would go th- uh, th- to the central command, General McKenzie, who is the central commander, He, I presume, has requested these troops as a defensive measure, a deterrence measure. Uh, From what I'm hearing, they are uh, designed to protect our forces and provide defensive uh, capabilities in the region. But it would be under General McKenzie that these troops would operate.
0: Do you think the president should withdraw his nomination?
1: I he hasn't made a nomination yet. So (laughs) that's not only a hypothetical question. We're waiting for a nomination.
0: But, I mean, I guess, do you think he should reconsider it?
1: I, you know, again, he has not presented a nomination yet, so it, it's, it's, it's difficult to reconsider a nomination that you have not made. His, his, issue, his, his issue is will he nominate the, the Mr. Shanahan, and if he does nominate Ms. Shanahan, then the Senate will do our job.
0: But do you think, given all of this, Shanahan is the best candidate for the job?
1: I think that has to be an evaluation that's done on the record what he's done as the acting secretary, what he did previously as the undersecretary, and any other factors that are pertinent to the role of Secretary of Defense. I think everyone deserves uh, consideration if you're nominated. The question right now is, will the president nominate him?
0: well let's get into our conversation about pediatric cancer research Um, as you know the president has called on congress to allocate five hundred million dollars toward pediatric cancer over the next ten years but his budget proposal also would have slashed overall funding for NIH and the National Cancer Institute Um, is the president sending an inconsistent message here
1: well I think absolutely inconsistent because the operations of the National uh, Cancer Institute and NIH in general uh, is not as discrete as one might think. There's a collaboration between scientists, there's basic research that can open up venues uh, that help pediatric cancer. Just focusing uh, on pediatric cancer and then cutting most everything else, I think will be so disruptive that it will not advance pediatric cancer, but maybe inhibit the research.
0: What do you think about the the funding level that the president asked for for pediatric cancer? I know that Speaker Pelosi had criticized that ask, saying it wasn't nearly large enough. That's a frequent criticism that you'll hear from Democrats when, when Republicans propose right. funding for things. But but you know, how much money do you think Congress should be devoting to this?
1: Well, I you know we have uh, in our legislation asked for thirty million dollars a year, and if we put that down. I think we should increase that, uh, and. I think we should do in the context of not cutting other places in NIH, but a uh, increase in funding on NIH and the National Cancer Institutes in particular, uh, because this is something that uh, we need to do to find the cures, to find better diagnostic techniques, better treatment techniques, and this is an effort that should be not just uh, restricted to one part of NIH, but the whole enterprise.
0: Uh, I believe that that uh, if you look at overall NIH funding, only about four percent, or sorry, funding for the National Cancer Institute, only about four percent goes to pediatric cancers. Why do you think that is? I mean, it's it's, you know, of course a small percentage right. of total cancers diagnosed. However, it is the second leading cause of death for kids after right. accidents. Right. Um, so why haven't we seen more funding for this?
1: I think part of it was before we started getting very reactive and that began in 2008 with the passage of the Carolyn Price Walker legislation, which I was the lead sponsor in the Senate. That was the first time we really said we're going to commit money specifically to pediatric cancer, $30 million. Then we're going to start getting the states to create registers, registries rather, so they can track cancers. And then we're going to do much more in terms of education and outreach. And then we built on that for the Star Act, which was uh, signed in 2018. Uh, so we've been trying to increase the focus. I think one of the, pre- the problems that you allude to in your question is that uh, what the good news is that, you know, the number of cases of childhood cancer in the country is about Eleven to twelve thousand a year—not not not excusable, particularly with a family that has a child with cancer. But it's not the same level of other types of cancers, and they tend to get more attention, more resources because of the the sheer number. That's why we had the—we felt we had to in 2008 to really focus on pediatric cancer to get that as a focal point because it was being overlooked.
0: Yeah, and I know a lot of your bill has to do with making it, improving opportunities for scientists to research pediatric cancer. What were the shortcomings there? I know your legislation tries to address biobanks and state registries. How does that work?
1: Well, uh, this is an evolution of the two pieces of legislation, but when we created the registries in the 2008 legislation, so what we want to do is basically, you know, get the statistics of the incidence of cancer, the types of cancers. get it nationwide so that the the scientists can start looking at trends, uh, give them clues as to how to focus their research. And then uh, in the later legislation, the, the STAR Act, we also started looking at the effects after a child has recovered from cancer because we had indications that they had other medical complications as they got older. And we wanted those complications to be charted, you know, know, uh, collected, so that they would know and medical professionals would know that if a child had gone through a certain cancer therapy, they might be more susceptible to this type of later non-cancer medical incident. So we started doing that. Then the other thing we started trying to do is to get the NIH to start collecting biosamples and doing it in a consistent way throughout the country so that the researchers wouldn't have just a small group studying at a, one particular hospital, but could call on a much broader range of data and therefore make their research much more effective and we hope lead to cures. A lot of this, I must confess, began as, as many of these initiatives did by first the appreciation, and I think this is a, a common appreciation, of childhood disease, cancer or otherwise, it has an effect not just on the individual child, but the whole family. Uh, most families, if there's a serious disease, cancer, otherwise, it's not just that that child, it's the, the siblings, it's the mother, it's the father, everyone's affected. So that's a, one of the reasons I thought this was very important. But then I had the opportunity in 2004, a couple came in, Vince and Nancy Haight, uh, they had just lost their son Ben to uh, cancer. And they had one other son, Nick, just a wonderful family. And Vince was a Master Chief in the Navy in the Submarine Service. And the sacrifices that they were making, not only for the country, but also to care for a child while he was deployed, all of that sort of hit home hard with me and said, we have to do much, much more when it comes to pediatric cancer and that started the process of the first legislation in two thousand eight and subsequent legislation and i've been very lucky to have great support across the aisle uh... deborah price my former colleague from ohio and now uh... shelley Moore capito uh, as they say in west virginia capito uh... is uh, a wonderful wonderful uh, advocate
0: yeah how did you end up partnering with her on this legislation
1: uh, she like m- myself were very much interested in trying to do something to to move along uh we had done I think good work with the original legislation in 2008, but we there was more to do and uh, she kind of a natural bonding uh, and she was a great great colleague. We worked together closely and because it was a bipartisan effort it was successful.
0: So you said this I guess this bill was first passed in 2008 and then it's been reauthorized okay. no,
1: well the 2008 bill was the uh, Carolyn Price Walker bill, uh, appropriately named after Deborah Price's daughter who succumbed to cancer. Uh, That started the process of identifying uh, pediatric cancer as a specific item, specific funding, getting the registries in place, et cetera. Then we wanted to build on that on the Star Act. So the Star Act wasn't just a simple reauthorization. It was an expansion. Uh, One of the other things we did in the Star Act is for the first time, we put a pediatric oncologist on the board of the National Cancer Advisory Group, so that those policymakers in NIH who decide funding levels and approaches to different cancers, they didn't have a pediatric oncologist. Now they do, so pediatric oncology has a voice at the table, and that was another improvement we we put in place in terms of the latest legislation. So this has not been just simply reauthorizing; it's been building on the 2008 act with the 2018 act and we're still in the process of trying better ways to to help pediatric cancer patients
0: have you been able to see any results from your legislation
1: uh, we have st baldrick society which is very active again i must i must commend the advocates though they went on they were on the ones pounding on every senators door and every representatives door and making the case quite compellingly there's nothing more persuasive than having someone from your own state or district come in and talk about their problems with their children uh... they've reported increased uh, funding for research much more many more research activities going on today the registries seem to be much more uh, uh, aggressive and expanding state by state uh... and the collection of bio samples are, are getting uh, much much more frequent, so that the, the database for research has increased. Uh, and the very fact that NIH is now putting more money out to universities and hospitals for research in pediatric cancer is an excellent sign. We've got to do more. Uh, and then f- the follow-up, they've been very complimentary about the follow-up, because w- what we found and we've actually asked GAO to do some investigation is that sometimes you'll have a, a, a young adult who came through a process of pediatric cancer, but now has the need for a uh, an unrelated medical problem, and insurance companies are a little reluctant about paying sometimes. So we want to make sure that we can show that there is this connection, that this is something that not only has to be helped, but has to be supported by the by the insurance companies as well as the medical establishment.
0: Well, and and this is a you know. There's a lot of encouraging news in this area, too, of course. I mean, as you know, survival rates have improved dramatically, I think, uh, was the survival for childhood cancer was about 10% in the 70s to now uh, nearly 90% today. do you have hopes we can kind of close that gap and kind of how, how are things changing? I mean, you mentioned that your legislation also tries to address survivors of pediatric right. cancer who then tend to have other health problems crop up later in life, sometimes because of the treatment that they had to undergo.
1: No, I think that's the whole goal. The whole goal is to um, get to the point where we can cure these cancers. That's not a, easily achievable. these are very, very difficult. There are some cancers in children that have had remarkable success rates because of the research and because of the diagnostic techniques and the treatments. There are other cancers that are very uh, fatal and continue to be fatal and very, very abrupt too within a year or less in terms of uh, from diagnosis to, to death. That's, that's difficult. We, we want a f- full-out approach. I mean, it would be nice to think about this as something that we can essentially eliminate. Uh, we have to try.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, drug pricing is a a top-line conversation in Washington right now. The administration's been trying to pull some levers on that, and there's some efforts in the House and Mm -hmm. Senate. Um, And there's been a lot of news recently, too, about shortages in the drugs that are used to treat pediatric cancer. What what kind of approach to to both shortages and pricing would you like to see Congress undergo? I think
1: the pricing approach is is a couple of things. One is that uh, Medicare and Medicaid should be able to negotiate with the drug companies the same way the Veterans Administration does for the best prices. They have huge patients' uh, numbers. Uh, They would have market power. This would be a market approach to it by negotiating with the suppliers. That, I think, is a a sensible approach. Second, I think we should... uh, prevent the ability of some of the drug companies to uh, extend their patent protections by making slight changes. There are even some uh, incidents of companies paying generic companies not to bring their drug to market so that they can keep their very expensive drug. Pay
0: for delay. Pay
1: for delay. I think that's wrong. I think that should be outlawed. So in terms of those uh, uh, price issues, those are three aspects that we should aggressively try right now. I think they'll work. And again, they're generally market-based solutions. Negotiation by Medicare and Medicaid, that's, that's a market approach. Let's just talk, and we have these many customers. Give us your best price. With respect to the, the sometimes the shortage or the lack of specific drugs for pediatric cancers, uh, we have tried in the past to give incentives to, to do that. And the incentives have been, been taken. I think we might even think now about trying to um, encourage them to be, to these companies, to be much more uh, aggressive in getting these new treatments out, even if it's, uh, it's not, for them, a big market. That's one of the problems. I mean, the good news, again, small number of patients For the companies, the research, the marketing, all of that's very expensive. But I think uh, incentives for more uh, drugs for pediatric cancer, and then maybe getting a little bit tougher in terms of saying, you know, we expect you to to play your role in this part too, and we're going to, you know, if things you need or want, uh, you might not get them without helping us with our pediatric cancer drugs.
0: Are you optimistic congress is going to be able to 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 undergo some kind of bipartisan action on drug pricing this year well the
1: drug pricing is more difficult as i said the the pediatric cancer has struck one of those bipartisan tones everything we've done has been bipartisan um and i think if 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 there is anything that could bring us together it would be children's disease that's i think cuts across all lines and again it goes back to the fundamental Sort of human recognition that a child is is ill, you have to help the child but also affects the family, so I think that is very persuasive. Um, the issue though, when you get into pricing and other aspects of that, you know for example, the negotiations with the uh, companies by CMS on behalf of Medicare and Medicaid, that is, seems to be running into roadblocks. The house has been very active. But uh, the Senate does not seem want to want to take that up. And that's unfortunate. I think that's something that could help the American people uh, tremendously.
0: That does seem like a non-starter at this point with, with Republicans in the Senate.
1: I think with, with, the, with their record to date of, of significant legislation passed by the House and no real consideration. Frankly, we've been you know doing nominations now for the last several months where we hope we can get on to the National Defense Authorization Act, which is uh, another rare bipartisan effort, uh, but there's a lot of legislation that's just piling up that we should be voting on in the Senate, and we're not.
0: Well, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank thank Senator Reid for joining us. Thank you very much. And please stay seated for the next portion of our program. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.